Now, I'm sure that most of you know the old story about the astronaut who went far out into space and was asked on his return whether he had been to heaven and seen God. And he said yes. And he said yes. He said yes. Greetings, ladies, gentlemen, non-binaries, and sentient artificial intelligence. Join us on this journey to find the others. Because no matter where we find ourselves in this multiverse, the act of existing is all too familiar. Guys? Mushroom has a tremendous problem solving ability. Herbs are good. I mean, herbs are good for everything. As we look across this great expanse and stare at the stars, we can't help but be reminded these lights, though we're seeing them all at the same time, happened across a multi billion year delta. Some of those fires burned millions of years ago. Some billions, but all of them happen so we can experience them in this one singular moment. They called us scouts. They called us seekers. They called us who's who. But we were destined to question everything. and gentlemen to Hoosier Sophisticate here on WGNU920AM.com. You can stream us live on Mycelial Media on YouTube or, of course, the Hoosier Sophisticate page on Facebook. We stream live every Monday night. Join the Sophisticated Hoosiers fan page and you'll catch uh, all kinds of content. And that little page... um, we always brag on the little family that has uh, formed inside of the uh, the sophisticated Hoosier fan page. And uh, every year now, this is now the second year, um, we have gone on a magical little journey through the magical forest, middle Missouri, and we've, we've had the opportunity to take some fans out there. And boy, we did it this weekend, buddy. What a weekend. <laughs> what a weekend, what a man. Week- buddy, I'm different. I'm a I'm a changed man. It solidified everything that I think I've been doing, that we've been doing, just in my own head. It really uh, seeing everybody. One of the one of the greatest moments was seeing people leave, like seeing Scotty leave. Everybody was giving him big hugs. You don't know anybody, and he's the worst. And people are just it, hugging him, <laughs> accepting him for who he is. It, it is great. One, it is one of the best things that I took notice of the entire time was how much every hug meant. 
Yeah, people Good weren't people weren't just people weren't just you know uh, you know just kind of giving that. Everybody was just too. oh yeah, a lot of squeezing, a lot of squeeze loving, a lot of I love yous. And I'll tell you yeah. what, I mean, kudos to everybody who just made it. We really stepped it up a notch with how magical just the yeah the no. ambiance of of night oh. camp was. Shout out to Jenna and Missy and everybody else that brought. Glowy stuff. I mean, you know, air mattresses and just glowing stuff. I mean, it was. We had pathways that led you to interesting little magical corners of the earth. And uh, let me. It, it was Avatar come to life. It looked exactly. What, I, what was the name of, 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 of? You're an Avatar guy. That's exactly yeah. what I said on the way home. I can't think of the name of the planet, but that's what it was. Oh, it was. Uh, Everything was 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 glow in the dark. Everything was Avatar. Not the name of the planet. No. No, no, they were Avatar. They were looking for unobtainium. I do know that. Okay. Very good. <laughs> unobtainium, the, yeah. That's what I said. Uh, um, no, no, it was great. The light-up balloons. It, buddy, I used to go to Schwag, and I loved Schwag, and people would, like, take glow sticks and kind of uh, make it look like predator blood if you cut them open and kind of whiz them in the woods a little bit, which I'm sure is not great for the environment. Yeah, I'm sure that's great for the But anyway, it, it was just – it was awesome to see um, – Something pop up like a 50-person a mini swag stock or something similar, a little festival where people were playing their guitars and people were, I mean, having a legitimate good time. At one point, I heard three different belly laughs come from three different portions of the camp, and it was unreal to see that. Oh God! These people—they don't even know each other—and now they're they're having a deep, dark belly laugh right now. Yes. About who knows what, but their memories were being formed that I think these people will hold on to for a long, long time. And I made friends was, for life, man. I made friends for life, no doubt about it. You? Some new people that uh, people befriended that showed you. Up. I know of all people. That's crazy. <laughs> Uh, I know it. Um, it was it was a beautiful little place. We had two little areas. One area set up to kind of go chill down in. Um, another area that was not not your typical campsite, but just uh, you know everyone showing up and realizing how special last year was. I think made them want to uh, you know make it make this year just as special. So all the new people knew that they kind of had something to live up to, and I think they did. They went above and beyond. Like, I, I can't thank you guys enough. Everybody that went, even the people who didn't go, like, just being able to support the show and do all the stupid stuff we do, to see all these people, like, I remember a weird thing. You know, I was a little kid, and I had this kind of hot aunt, and I, <laughs> <laughs> by law or by blood? Looking back, I don't. Even she was know. hot by blood. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> but she gave. I, I gave her a hug like at a wedding, and I was like, "Oh yeah," you know. Like it was. It was, it was like a distant you. aunt. I'm with you, buddy. Kind of looked like Gloria Estefan. Okay, um, okay, all right. And so I gave her, and she was like, "You're the best hugger." And I've always been like, "Oh, that's the secret." <laughs> Put that one in the back pocket. So I've always been like, "Hey, man, give somebody a good hug." And you th- mean you mean your hugs? Yeah, and like people who even. Uh, you know, scientists have come up and said, hey, you know, you hug somebody for 15 seconds and releases a chemical and all this, you know, yada, yada. But seeing everybody do yeah, that. Does. If there was anything that needed to be done this week, yeah. if there was anything that needed to be done this week and it was for chemicals to be released, go ahead. <laughs> there are a few, uh, a little bit of that happening, too. Uh, just I, random weirdos in the woods doing some weird stuff, man. I mean, I, I, the, the little moments I had with everybody, I know we don't have too much time to get to much of this, but we have uh, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Reverend Daniel. Reverend. Reverend Daniel Nemu, who uh, I believe it's Nemu, but yes, Nemu, who is going to 
uh, tell us a little bit about psychedelics and religion and like some of the stuff we've talked about before, the burning bush and anointing oil. I'm and- so excited to talk to this guy. We've brought up uh, psilocybin as the sacrament. We've brought up yeah. the, the you know the uh, uh, the bush be- having DMT, the burning the bush. bush, the bush, the full <laughs> bush having DMT. Uh, but to have somebody who has uh, studied extensively, you know maybe psychedelics yeah. and their place and and the the metaphors that maybe have been used for them throughout time and i've I, I heard him chat a little bit about talking i mean a lot of his ideas definitely cross over with what what we've talked about on this show he's like yeah. i mean oh, what's totally. a border he was talking you know, I, I, we can talk to him a little bit about this but as a kid he would ponder things like well borders they're only there yeah. like a country starts and it ends only because a battle was fought there at some point yeah which you know always goes back to like the the um Easy on the bell. We didn't say anything about <laughs> efficacy, Scott. <laughs> That's wow. the efficacy bell wow. and 100%. Um, uh, but <laughs> the only thing in front of him is a bell and he touched it. <laughs> but, not uh, doing you know, well. I, 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 I did post uh, a link to his website on our page, and I recommend everybody check it out. It's very interesting. I'm very. I'm, interesting. I'm really looking forward to this, to this interview. I, I hope that he can just expound on on so many of these different ideas that he's had and totally because th- this weekend was so uh, uh i mean amazingly profound for me because i you know uh my bu- this is all about this my will buddy. be a great follow-up interview this is about my buddy's queen weekend oh my buddy queeve told me all these things my buddy queeve went on the cotillion this week or to a different camp trip actually and, ha- and went through some of the most profound things queeve has ever been through yeah in his that's queen's brother <laughs> squeeze, squeeze, bro. yeah, squeeze, brother, queef. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it's my name, except I put a qua in front of it. So I'll tell you during the commercial break. Okay, okay. No, but this is going to all tie together because I, knowing myself more and more, you know, I used to do psychedelics. Queef, queef used to do psychedelics back in the day. Just a party, man. Like, hey, let's go see my on a head full, man. And I've been learning more and more about it, how to take it as sacrament. And this weekend, I finally – Queeve had a, had a calling to take some medicine that really changed kind of a, a little bit of – His makeup? I, I don't, it's hard to put into words what Queeve saw and what Queeve felt. I bet Queeve had a heck of a time explaining it to you, and you're giving it secondhand. So that's, exactly. Yeah. But, but it, it was one of the most profound moments of Queeve's life, and we can talk a little bit more about that after we get into our guest. That's a little bit of a tease. But who brings us this whole thing? Well, BellChiroSTL.com. They do? They do. Bell Chiropractic and Pain Management. They've got all kinds of services. He's got so many services to list. We're going hey, to him. hire the Micro Machine guy <laughs> uh, to read it. Um, but, no, he, if, if you guys uh, have find yourself in, in the unfortunate uh, experience of being in a, a, an auto accident. Um, if your back's just hurting you, maybe you lifted something wrong. You know, uh, uh, like the weight of the there, world, there, like the weight of the world. <laughs> and if you carry it for three days, yeah, you need to go good. get your back worked on. Okay, you're going to go to Bell Chiropractic. Maybe most importantly to this show, there's people that are always asking, "Where's a good place I can go to a doctor I can trust? Tell them what I'm to get a recommendation for for medicinal marijuana." Well, Bell Chiropractic and pain management can help you out with that too. Call them. Give them an opportunity to help you out. But on top of that, they're doing, uh, I think, testosterone therapy for men. They're doing laser hair removal. Heck yeah, they are. Yeah, Steve's <laughs> on it. Steve's <laughs> on it. Like Steve, Steve told Blake, I'll be your guinea pig. Just, and he, he turned him into Bane. 
Well, they tested me, and they're like, you've never had a smidgen of testosterone in your body ever. That explains all the hairlessness. And I was like, well, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, a doctor one time, this is a little side note, um, they wanted to put me on HGH when I was a kid because I was just a wee little lad. Wee little lad. And they're like, hey, put him on some HGH, whatever. And my parents were like, no, he's going to be nine foot tall and can't <laughs> drive a car. That's what my mom that's said. That's how it worked. Yeah, that's what she thought. You okay, before Robert the internet. <laughs> Thank you. And I was like, thanks, mom. I could have been hitting dingers. The you know? giant. Yeah. I could have been a baseball player instead. I'm this. Guys, if you want to be nine foot tall and not be able to drive, you should call Bell Cairo STL. Yeah, do they do that? 314-838-1983. BellCairoSTL.com. They make this whole entire presentation possible um and making this presentation possible makes the group possible and making the group possible makes this weekend possible and i and just to get back to that a little bit oh buddy, yeah uh it was amazing just whatever we we had some newcomers you know we about yep. doubled the doubled the group size and i i want to congratulate everybody that went on going to the largest ever uh cotillion it will never be bigger than it was this year not gonna happen. unless it's the bull flip. It will we never. Turn it, it will never flip, ever yeah. be bigger than it was this year. Um, and so, uh, if you were in, you'll you'll understand the urgency of getting your tickets early this year because once those first forty go, you're out. <laughs> He's already head hunting for next year, so you better watch out. out. Uh, no, just the whole how this show has grown and how just being stupid idiots in the basement. Um, seeing the ripple effect through all the people this weekend and seeing them. Last year, we got to see people become friends after Cotillion, and they would show up to the studio, and we're like, you guys know each other? And they're like, yeah, we met at Cotillion. And I was like, oh, God, that's kind of crazy. There's double of that that went on. No doubt. And kudos to the new people who came and didn't know a soul. We had a guy come from three states over. From Colorado. At the end, he goes... Uh, this was totally worth, worth it. it. Yep, he was one of the last people there. God love him, and and and, and not to mention those new people also brought just a beautiful little piece of themselves that was the yep. perfect addition to camp. Right? I have we to know some. We people. talk about how vi- camp was seriously visually stunning, and I even you know I took my van and even blocked off perhaps the most stunning view in all of Missouri just so that selfish no people were down there. <laughs> Yeah, turns out that uh, we're like in charge of this thing. I'm not. People go to Craig. They know they go how to, it they is. Go to <laughs> That's me. the best thing about our relationship. By day three, I'm looking at people like, "You got problems." I get it. We all got problems. Craig okay. laughed in a gentleman's face when he came up and said he had an emergency. He goes, "Okay." And I was like, "Oh, I have to do something yeah, some, now." Somebody's got to step up and be an adult here. We're um, all adults. Yeah, I know that was that was the line that we I all took. got emergencies, bro. I'm yeah. I'm super grateful for just a number of things. We we took um, you know like I said we took that to take that many people down there and not have an ounce of drama. There were no fights. There I were, did try to know, fight a few people. I, I know you did. Your brother uh, kept trying to steal my gal. Too. I, no, I get it. No well, misunderstandings. Yeah, he, there, were, there, weren't, there, there weren't, man. There really just wasn't any <laughs> nonsense. We had to deal with a couple of little roadblocks. We had big trailers show up in the middle of the you know, campers show up in the middle of the night that had to get in there. Kudos. That guy hey, could drive anything. Hey, guy with the big camper, I'm impressed, but you're one guy. Okay, <laughs> what are you doing? You're bringing a mansion out to the, the river? Like, it's the one I got. What do you want me to, what do you want me to get my other camper? <laughs> so, uh, no, it was um, it was really incredible, I, man. People I did. Brought, I did have to settle, Brian, a guy named Brain. 
down a little bit. You did? Yeah. Okay. So I'll get to that later. Okay. Yeah, okay. I did. We uh we had a uh we just had a good time, man, and, and there was how about you know, we all signed forms, so we won't go too much into details, but how about some of the uh hidden talent? Oh, I wanted to get to that. In this group. How about some of the hidden talent in this group? I'll tell you what, it was a I was in a place come Saturday, a place of just, you know, a couple days of hard partying with, with people that I love where I was like I think I have just depleted everything that I have in my system, and I'm hanging on by a thread, but I didn't want the weekend to end. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I – what I needed to do was go lay my happy self down and yeah. go to bed and call it good, and it would have been great. But I was like, I'm not ready to leave these people. Tomorrow morning, it's over. Yeah. And you start to get that that anxiety, yes. you know, of the cleanup and of – because there was, I mean, there was a cleanup. There was – Leave camp early. You know? Yeah, we, we talked about it. And, uh, you know, all of the, the amazing things that people made happen to make that place light up like Abbott's Field. And it really was – it looked like electric forest out Everybody there. Everybody gave a piece of themselves out there. It was, there was a it couple was, capes, people swinging these capes. Yeah, the lighted over. capes. Oh, no my doubt. God. A projector screen set up in the woods at an angle with a projector at it spilling <laughs> over from the white sheet – over onto the trees was one of the most magnificent things I've ever seen. Turned out pretty cool. And people that could see it from the upper campsite that hadn't been down there yet were like, what do you guys have going on down there? What kind of little freak party you got going on? (laughs) Exactly. They found out real quick. It was cool, man. We got to, we got to sing some songs together. We got, you know, we, we just, we just had a lot of fun. I don't know that I've ever laughed that much in three days. My abs are sore as can be. My face hurt. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Shut up. No doubt. It was, uh, my chief. It's a good time, man. It's a good time. It's hard to to even... I know. It's hard to put it into words. It's it's one of those things where it's it's really hard to... I think to share that with everybody. I think I did a good job putting it, putting myself in the moment the whole time because I wanted to do that. I wanted to stay in the moment and remember things. And I just thank you to everybody who went. Um, And and we're going to do it again. Um, But right now, we're joined on the phone lines. Um... We got the Reverend Daniel Nemu. Nemu, I believe. Nemu. I'll have him correct us. Hey, uh, Reverend Daniel, how's it going, my friend? Yeah, it's very good. Thanks very much. Yeah, you got the name more or less right. It's uh, it's Nemu. Nemu. Um, Craig was right again. (laughs) Danny, I I appreciate you. uh, You. My parents when they're (laughs) with me. Danny, call me Danny. Danny, you got it, brother. You got it, Danny Nemu. Uh, you um, have some interesting uh, research out there. It's something that we cover on this show. On this show, we're here in St. Louis. We um, we talk about the things that uh, maybe you don't hear really on terrestrial radio throughout the states too often. We talk about. We're, I think we like. I like to think we played a part in the helping legalize medicinal cannabis, being a mouth mouthpiece for that here in the state of Missouri. But also, we talk about psychedelics and their, you know, their their potential health benefits, their their definite spiritual benefits, um, and we try to to bring on voices that know a lot more than we do. Uh, so we uh, we found a lot of your material out there. Something we've touched on in the past was about you know how psychedelics have maybe uh, played a part in our uh, the map of our of, of our spirituality just throughout mankind. Whether that's you know just different cultures throughout. Can you kind of tell us? A little bit about your research and uh, how you got into this 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 field of research. Um, yeah, I think the probably the most relevant bit of my research here is my look at drugs in the Bible or entheogens in the Bible. Um, I'm also quite involved in ayahuasca research, 
as well. And generally, I just like psychedelics. I think they're wonderful. Um, I um, yeah, I just published an article recently in the Journal of Psychoactive, uh, sorry, Journal of Psychedelic Studies on um, two preparations that are in the Bible in Exodus 30. And one of them is the anointing oil, uh, and the other one is the, um, it's called Ketoret HaSamim in Hebrew, which means the incense of, well, if you translate it in modern Hebrew, Samim means drugs. Uh, so MDMA, heroin, those kind of words. Uh, in, in modern Hebrew, that, in Hebrew that's Samim. Uh, we don't really know what it is in ancient Hebrew, but it looks pretty much like it is drugs. So Ketoret HaSamim would be the incense of drugs. And if you look into the various compounds, or various plants and resins that are found both in the anointing oil. Um, the anointing oil is what makes Jesus called Christ. Christ means anointed, and Messiah also means anointed. The Hebrew version of that is Mashiach. Um, yeah, they're just full of full of uh, full of psychedelics or full of entheogens, really. Uh, I'm, I'm a good little Catholic boy. I was raised in uh, you know the Catholic setting my whole life. Um, you know, kind of fell out after high school. Um, you know, but I was always the stories, and I, I realized you know we took everything really literal when I was young, and then you realize that these are metaphors and stuff. How how have you taken this journey? Are you you know are you a firm <laughs> believer in God? Did you go to you know did you have Catholic upbringing? You know what what kind of how did this journey all, all begin for you? Um, well. I'm a reverend because I got ordained on the internet for about fifteen dollars uh, back in the day. This is when I used to perform weddings in Japan, and uh, <laughs> I'm a white man, and uh, Jesus was a white man according to certain misunderstandings of well, history, duh. and the Japanese certainly reckon he is. Um, so that's where I got the. So don't take what well, I take the. Um, I take the title very seriously indeed, but I suggest that other people don't really take it uh, that seriously personally. Um, I've always been fascinated in what, in what people believe and why they believe it. And uh, am I a firm believer in God? It really depends what you mean by God. Um, and that, we could be talking for hours and hours on that. But I believe uh, something curious is going on. Um, and I think that the nature of the gods or God um, can be seen on certain, well, with various different things. There's various different ways of seeing different aspects, different faces of God. They might be through fasting. They might be through austerities. Uh, they might be through holding uh, painful yoga positions for hours. Or they might be through psychoactives. And um, I like all of those things, actually. Um, but um, coming back to what you just said there, it's very interesting because um, you don't need to take the Bible metaphorically to find entheogens in it you know you can read it just as it is um two very famous ones are frankincense and myrrh and um yeah it's it's actual frankincense and myrrh so if you look at the psychopharmacology if you look at the chemicals that are inside those two uh resins obviously they were the gifts given to the baby jesus uh along with gold both of them are super super psychoactive myrrh for example contains uh several different um, op um, opioid, but opioid receptor agonists. Basically, they work on the same system as opium, as heroin. Uh, one of them has 10% of the pain-killing power of morphine, for example. So that's how strong 
the Furano Sequestra, called Furano Sequestra, which is a complicated word. But you'll be familiar with the story, uh, as a good Catholic boy, of Jesus being offered myrrh in wine at his crucifixion. And the reason he was offered that is because it was used, and still is used, actually, as a painkiller. Um, I use it on, you know, when my, when my I've got a baby and he has a teething trouble, so sometimes I'll just put a drop of myrrh, uh, essential oil, on his teeth and he'll chill out straight away. But the opioid receptor agonists, basically the things that work on the opioid system, they, uh, all of them have uh, mood-altering effects. All of them make you feel euphoria, basically, which is why, you know, heroin, morphine, are such problematic um, painkillers because they're really good and people get really into them. So myrrh has got all kinds of, um, it's got, I mean, it's got these opioid receptor agonists, but it's also got limonene, it's got uh, eugenol, which is a cousin of MDMA, it's got safrol, it's got LMSin. Um, we can get onto that later. And then if you look into frankincense, for example, you know, we tend to get the idea that frankincense is just a kind of posh smell. And uh, if you, I mean, frankincense was carried 1,500 miles uh, across robber-infested deserts. And this has been going on a long time, you know. It was burnt to Yahweh uh, a long time ago. But before Yahweh was around, it was burnt to Baal of the Canaanites. And before that, it was burnt to Ra of the Egyptians. I mean, that trade from what's now um, Oman, basically... Uh, all the way to Palestine has been going on for probably 6,000 years at this point. And it's a lot of trouble to go to for a posh whiff, a posh smell. But it's more than a posh smell because frankincense works on the GABA system. Um, one of the compounds in it is dehydroabiotic acid. And um, the GABA system is the same system where Valium works uh, for example. It's an inhibitory system in the brain. So basically it means it chills you out. It's described in psychopharmacology as a tranquilizer, although, you know, it does more than make you tranquil. It does all kinds of interesting things. So GABA, receptor, GABA receptors are receptors that are in your brain, and they're found on 40% of the neurons in your brain. So they're a very, very common receptor. If you eat frankincense, and I suggest you do, uh, about the size of two garden peas is a good dose of frankincense. And chew it up, it will turn into a kind of chewing gum stuff. And, um, oh, it's just marvellous. It, it, it's calmative, um, and it's, it's just a beautiful sensation. It also contains insulin cell acetate, which works on an iron channel in the brain as well, called the TRPV3 iron channel. I don't want to get too technical here. Um, so if, you if, can't if, get too technical if, for yeah, us. Get in the weeds, it. man. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so these things are good, like, you know, in the in the in these preparations we're talking about in the Bible, <clears throat> um, they're used as mixtures. You know, in, in modern pharmacology, we tend to take a chemical, take a plant, for example, and try and extract what we think is its uh, um, its active ingredient. Um, but back in the day, you know, in the ancient time, pharmacology was different, or botany was different. Um, the idea, the way that these things would work, the work together was by mixing them together, and by mixing. By mixing various things, you get all kinds of synergies between them. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with how ayahuasca works, but basically ayahuasca, if you take the various ingredients of ayahuasca on their own, they don't do a whole lot. In fact, you can eat as much DMT as you like, and it won't make you, uh, it won't do anything to you because your enzymes break it down. But in the mixture of the various elements of the anointing oil and the 
the intent that I just mentioned, the, the mixture inhibits your enzymes and also allows certain chemicals to get to your brain. Do those, do those work as, as MAOIs, I suppose? Is that what you're saying? Um, it's not it's, it's a different it's a slightly different system. It's the it's the cytochrome system. Um, so the cytochrome system, you've got fifty one different enzymes. It's very similar. I mean, it's, it's okay. an enzyme inhibition. Sure. In, inhibition. Um, so you've got fifty one of them. Uh, six of them are involved in breaking down ninety nine percent of the drugs that you're going to meet. Right. Uh, so um, there's there's four. Let me explain like this. There's four ingredients <clears throat> in the. Uh, Shemen Hamishcha, which is the massage oil, the anointing oil. And we tend to think of uh, anointing as a little bit of a dribble of oil on your forehead, but that doesn't really uh, fit with the text because the word is called Shemen Hamishcha, and this word Mishcha, which is where we get the word Mashiach, which means Messiah, as in the anointed one, it comes from the same root as massage. Um, It means to wipe or to paint in Hebrew. And it looks like the way that this oil was applied was all over the body and in a massage rather than a bit of a dribble on the forehead. And the chemicals that are in it, or rather the residues that are in it, the plants that are in it, are myrrh, uh, which I've talked about, cinnamon, cassia, and canebosem, or canebosem, which is later on in <clears throat> Hebrew history, it becomes called canebos, which is the singular version. The singular, I mean, canebosem, is plural. And cannabis is exactly what it sounds like, according to a whole lot of research. Uh, cannabis, in fact, in the Talmud, which is a later you know, kind of Jewish collection of um, folklore, let's say, lore and folklore, um, it's actually called hemp. Um, or the trans- it's very clear that it's hemp. So this stuff contains um, cannabis, uh, almost certainly. And we've got archaeological evidence of the use of cannabis from the 14th century BC in Jerusalem, as well as all of the tribes around um, around Judah, around uh, around the Holy Land. So there was the Scythians, for example, were visited by Herodotus in the 5th century BC, and he describes how they throw cannabis. Well, first what they do is they fold down the flaps of their tent, and then they throw cannabis on the fire, and then they jump up and dance and sing. And he even says it's better than any Grecian vapor bath. So it's got cannabis Listen, in there. I'm Greek. Uh, Let's not go that far, okay? <laughs> Our baths are pretty awesome, okay, buddy? No, those people yeah, know how to party. Um, <laughs> indeed, yeah. I think they're quite into their massages in this bath, I believe, as well. <laughs> um, so, so the mix there of um, the other two, uh, which would be familiar, be familiar to people, cinnamon, which is obviously the thing that you eat. There's different types of cinnamon. One of them is called cinnamonum verum, which is not, which is um, what used to be cinnamon, what used to be put into food back in the day. Most of the cinnamon that you eat today is cinnamonum, cinnamonum cassia, and both of those two different plants are in the anointing oil, right? Cinnamon, uh, these two types of cinnamon, cinnamon and cassia, and together both of those inhibit all six of the cytochrome enzymes, which uh, stop drugs getting to your brain. So basically, if you eat, uh, let's say, eugenol, right, if you, if you have a big dose of eugenol, which is a cousin of MDMA, it's, it's in sweet fennel, for example, but um, it's also in nutmeg. That's one of the things that makes nutmeg so interesting if you take it in a large enough dose. By the way, be very careful with your doses. Uh, if you do decide to eat loads of nutmeg, I'm just going to put a caution right now 
for your listeners, go easy with nutmeg because it's extremely powerful. I'm on a head full of nutmeg right now, fella. (laughs) 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 About, you know, if you you grind up one, uh, two nutmegs, it'll probably be about right. But I'd start with one and a half. Because people have different enzyme systems. If you get too much nutmeg into your system, you're going to be you're going to have a headache for three days. It'll be horrible. Listen, our um, fans aren't the, crazy. They're not right. going to they're not going to do two things of nutmeg. Okay, buddy, <laughs> we're not crazy. <laughs> so basically, eugenol. If you, if you eat eugenol on its own, it won't do anything. But if you inhibit all the enzymes in your body by eating the right doses of cinnamon and cassia, then it knocks out your enzymes. So basically, that eugenol can get to your brain, where it becomes super super psychoactive. Man, this is a, a wealth of information. This is awesome. Who do you I, – when I said I was a good Catholic boy, I didn't pay much attention. Um, but we've been, we've been getting a lot of thread uh, – uh, comments on our thread. You know, the, the Bible is the most metaphysical text in the world. I wish people would read it more. Um, I kind of want to ask you a two-parter. Um, who do you think the, the wise men really were? Like, I don't think that's covered in the Bible. Like, do you think they were some sort of medicine men from around bringing these gifts to the the king or whatever? You know, how that all worked out? And, you know, what? how can we read the Bible now and not make it seem, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say boring, but, you know, it's very, uh, you know, very... Tasking. Yes, yes. They, they didn't boring make it is fun. Good, yeah. Yes, okay. So you get it. Uh, help me out there. Yeah, yeah, boring. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, okay, so I'm going to answer your first question first. It's okay. an easy one. The, uh, the three wise men, or magi. Magi is a Zoroastrian word, which means um, uh, kind of, uh, it's a caste, actually, but it's the kind of priestly caste. So they were, um, yeah, medicine men, astrologers would be a good way of looking at it. Okay. Zoroastrian myth really interesting myth, actually, um, about a kind of divination, a kind of fortune-telling that you do by putting uh, different items in front of a child, in front of a baby. You know, in the same way that if you're looking for the, the, the next Dalai Lama, you put um, the, the old Dalai Lama's beads in front of a baby, and if he grabs them rather than grabs all the other stuff, oh, that's right, he's the Dalai Lama. So they do this kind of thing. They stick stuff in front of babies all over the world. Um, I've actually seen it in Japan. But anyway, in the Zoroastrian tradition, what they would do with a king... Uh, is they would put gold and frankincense and myrrh in front of a baby. And if he grabbed the gold, he would be a temporal king. He'd be a king, in this, he'd be a king with temporal power, with power in this world. If he grabbed the frankincense, he would be a priestly king. Um, and if he grabbed the myrrh, he would be a healer and true son of Zoroaster. So I think that's who the, uh, the Magi were, who were Zoroastrian uh, wise men, uh, medicine awesome. men, uh, magicians, you might say. Now, the other question is a really exciting question. Um, how should we read the Bible? So I'm just going to tell you what um, <clears throat> the Rambam, who is a great, uh, sorry, the Ramban, Nachmanides, who is a great Jewish sage, says about the first line of the Bible, right? And he's talking about the Hebrew. Now, the first line, I'm just going to quote it in, uh, in Hebrew. It goes, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim et right? That means, normally that's translated as, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And um, it's a little bit complex, so just, just pay, just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit complex. But in, well, so what Nachmanides says, and this isn't some obscure um, sage, this is one of the greatest sages of all, of all Jewish history. He says that the Bible, when it was originally written, it was written in black fire on white fire, and it was written without spaces, yeah? It was written without spaces. Um, and... To illustrate, I mean, if you look at contemporary inscriptions in Paleo-Hebrew, which was the Hebrew that the Bible was first written in, back before the, the, the current Hebrew script 
was created, they're written without spaces. And this is common, you see, in old Greek texts as well, written without spaces. Also, another thing about Hebrew is that it doesn't have any vowels, or at least the vowel system is not written into it. Right, so there's lots of different ways that you can pronounce a word, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And obviously, the word in English, for example, hit and hat and hut and hot, uh, they all mean different things because they're pronounced differently and they sound differently. Now, in Hebrew, that would all be spelt the same. Uh, it would be, just be the two consonants. So the way you read a piece of text very much influences the meaning of it. So what Nachmanides says about this first line of the Bible? Well, first he says, you know, it's written without spaces. He also says if you break up the lines, the words differently, it reveals different secrets. And he says you can break up the first one like this. Rather than taking the first, uh, let me get this right, Bereshit bara Elohim, right? Um, in the beginning, God created. Uh, if you take those um, two of the letters off the first word, so it's Bereshit, and you make that into, uh, if you just take the last two letters, which is Ya and T, and you take them off and you put them on the next word, you get another line which says, Barosh Yitbara. So rather than Barosh Yitbara, it becomes Barosh Yitbara. Spelled in exactly the same way if you read it without, without, without um, spaces. But it means something completely different. Barosh means in the head, and Yitbara means was created, or is created, or is being created, or even will be created. It can mean a lot of things because it's a very flexible language, Hebrew. Elohim, God. In the head is created God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's or, so true. Anyway, I mean, <laughs> God. Yeah. Or in the head is created the gods, because El- Elohim is a really interesting word in itself. It's um, the ending of that. Uh, El means power in Hebrew. Uh, Elim is powers, as in it's the, the, the plural form of it. And Elohim is, is a super interesting word, because it's got this masculine ending, plural ending, the grammar around it is all singular, so it's kind of singular and plural at the same time. But it's also masculine and feminine at the same time, because it's got this ha in the middle. So it's not Elim, it's Elohim, it's got an extra ha. And the reason that Hannah is called Hannah with an H on the end, and Deborah is called Deborah with an H on the end, and Torah is called Torah with an H on the end, is because ha at the end of a word in Hebrew is a feminine word. So Elohim is both masculine, feminine, singular, and plural. And it's also abstract. Uh, so you could translate that first line as uh, in the head is created the gods or the powers and then if you continue messing around with the rest of the line which normally says that normally says uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth if you move around uh, two letters in the second half of that line rather than saying uh, the heavens and the earth it says you are heavens and you are earth so you can read the first line if you want to and one of the great sages of history did in the, in the head was created God. And if you continue messing with the letters, uh, you are heavens and you are earth. So that's one thing I want to say about how to read wow. the Bible. Um, basically read in Hebrew. It's much better in Hebrew. Well, my teachers um, failed me. <laughs> that was really good. I would have been a lot, a lot better student. <laughs> that's how they broke it down to me. And then if you look at the Bible, you know, the Bible, just the stories of the Bible, a lot of it is what we might call today psychiatric experience uh, or mystical experience. You know, people... Someone sees something that somebody else doesn't see. Someone hears something that someone else doesn't hear. You know, that's the kind of stuff that gets you locked up in a mental hospital this, this, uh, in this day. Um, Moses, for example, is filled with compulsion. You know, he goes, he goes and talks to uh, Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh says to him, go and rescue the, the Jews from the, the Israelites from Egypt. And he says, no, 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 I don't want to. And he compels him. 
And at the end of the conversation, off he's going and he's storming off to, he's storming off to Egypt. Um, a compulsion is a disorder in uh, the way we tend to think about these kind of things these days. I'm quite sceptical of psychiatry, as you might have guessed. Um, but, yeah, compulsion, uh, vision, re-experience, hearing noises, hearing voices, all that kind of stuff is um, a very mystical, you know. It's, uh, so if you, if you were to read that book in terms of what it might be happening, what might be happening inside somebody's head, rather than, you know, an angel comes down, what does that mean if someone sees an angel and someone doesn't see it? You know, where is that angel? Well, I'd like to read it in somebody's head. I love it. I'll give you another example um, of how interesting the Bible is, um, just to kind of corrupt the good Catholic boy if he's still around uh, in you there somewhere. Um, <clears throat> the, now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh Elohim had made. Right? Now, that word subtle in Hebrew is arum, arum, right? And it's spelt exactly the same way as a word in the previous line, Previous line in the Bible says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed, right? That word naked is arom in the modern pronunciation of Hebrew. And the modern pronunciation of Hebrew was set in the 7th century AD, right? So before then, those, those, the, the vowels vowel didn't even exist. You know, I don't know if you know, in, in Hebrew you have little dots underneath the, underneath the line. They were invented by the Masorites in the 7th century AD. So you had like a, a thousand and more years while this was a much more fluid book. So that word um, naked, which describes the innocence of um, Adam and Eve, in the very next line, it describes the subtlety of the snake. You know what I mean? Yep. And we tend to think that the snake is the bad guy in the story. But that's the only adjective he gets in the entire text. And then if you look at that word subtle elsewhere in the Bible, for example, you go to Proverbs, um, that word you see it over and over again, arum, arum. And every single time it's found, it's a virtue, not a vice. It says something along, and it can, be, it can mean prudent as well. So, for example, when Yahweh Elohim calls out to Adam and says, where art thou? Um, the answer that Adam gives, I heard a voice in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked. Now, that word naked is the same word, arum. So it could be, I hate because I was subtle. It could also mean prudent. I hate because I was prudent. And then you go to Proverbs, there's this line which says, the prudent man sees the evil and he hides. It also says, um, it also says the prudent are, um, what does it say, crowned with knowledge as well. So it's very ambiguous. You know, back in the day, it was a very ambiguous text. In fact, there's all kinds of fluidity in the Bible. You know, Noah gets called she and Eve gets called he. You've got gender fluidity in the Bible. Um, just about how to do that now, you're, now in, in English, the best way to do it, I think, is if you get on, on, on the Internet and you get to Blue Letter Bible, then you can, you can check out the correspondences. So I'll give you another example. You know this line, the meek shall inherit the earth, yeah? Yeah. If you look at the Hebrew version of that. Meek is anav, right? And it doesn't mean, well, it doesn't really mean meek in the way you might understand it. You know, Moses is described as the meekest man who ever lived, right? Moses isn't meek. He goes and challenges Pharaoh and he wipes out his tribal enemies to every last man, woman, and child, you know? Um, nothing meek about him. It means poor, right? So the poor... This word inherit, um, which is, uh, what is it in Hebrew, uh, yarash, um, yarash, uh, it, it normally means seize, right? Almost everywhere, if, if you go, if, if you look up the correspondences, so you go on the blue letter Bible, you look at where that word is found in the Bible, elsewhere it nearly always means seize. So the poor shall seize, uh, and then Eretz doesn't really mean earth, because they didn't have a conception of the planet, you say Eretz Israel, it means the land of Israel. Eretz means land, right? 
So the line which we tend to read as the meek shall inherit the earth, you know, be a good boy and wait. Uh, it, you could probably, you could read that and it would probably be much more um, faithful to the text um, to read it as the poor shall seize the land, which, um, you know, fits in my politics a little bit better than the meek shall inherit the earth. <laughs> I, want to, uh, I want to kind of build on, on, on Moses a little bit because, I mean, would you agree like sh- shamanic practices uh, predate even the Bible as we know it? But reading, uh, reading some of your papers, uh, you maybe you suggested that it was possible that when Moses was fasting, you know, on 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 the mount, um, he was the Ten Commandments are essentially essentially an ikaros, right? And uh, for for our fans here, they they typically know like a lot of uh, Amazonian jungle ayahuasca shaman might go and dine with one uh, particular plant for a month at a time or months at a time until that spirit speaks to him and gives him a song to sing. Um, was that kind of what you were getting at in the paper? That could is, could it be interpreted that the Ten Commandments were an ikaros that that came to Moses as a as a result of his fast? Yeah, it's a kind of complex area you're getting onto there, and uh, yeah, um, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, it's in uh, the article that um, that it's in is called Getting High with the Most High Entheogens in the Bible, and that's online, that's free to read. It's also in my book, which is called Neuro Apocalypse. Neuro Apocalypse, you can find that on Amazon. One of the chapters is about drugs in the Bible, and it goes into this subject. So, yeah, um, it's a bit complex because the Ten Commandments, what we think of as the Ten Commandments, in particular chapter that you're, the, uh, of Exodus that we're talking about there, they're not actually commandments. So um, the word is aseret debarim, debar in Hebrew, debarim uh, means word, doesn't mean commandments. Commandments is mitzvot in Hebrew. And there's other words which mean commandments, but this whole kind of Ten Commandments gig is really, really confused in the Bible. Um, that whole thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, that comes from an entirely different chapter where there's not ten anything, and even in that chapter, there's not ten of them. There's about 14, you know. Thou shalt not covet thy, thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's ox. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. That's three commandments there, right? If you're, thinking, if you're counting up the thou shalt not. Right? Um, so the whole idea of ten commandments is kind of um, a brilliant piece of misleading politics by all kinds of religions sure. ever since, really. Uh, Jews, Catholics, Protestants, a lot of them. But they all disagree on what the Ten Commandments are. So if you ask a Catholic and you ask a Protestant, a Lutheran, let's say, and you ask a Jew what those Ten Commandments are, they'll give you a, they'll give you a different list. And you, can, you, can, you can Wikipedia that and have a look at the different, what they say. Anyway, back to, this, back to the story. So it would be ten words, right, ten words. In fact, the word dabar comes from a root, dabar meaning word, comes from a root which means to, to line up something in order. Uh, to put something in order, right? So you think about a word, what is a word? It's a series of letters. Uh, and what is an ikaro? It's a series of uh, syllables and sounds. Um, and in fact, word, the bar, can also mean phrase, right? And an ikaro is a kind of musical phrase. Um, so, yeah, he goes up the mountain for 40 days. Note how Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And if you go to, uh, in the Middle East today, there are the Sufis, for example, they'll do a 40-day fast sometimes, particularly for super musicians, when they'll go off on their own 40 days. So this number 40 has also got a whole kind of mysticism behind it. Um, but yeah, he goes up, he, he has no food for 40 days on the mountain. But that's just one aspect of what Moses does, which is shamanic. There's a, a, a paper by um, Winkleman, Michael Winkleman, um, who he interviewed, or rather he, he, he 
he sent out a questionnaire to 47 different traditional societies uh, asking about their magico-religious practitioners, so basically uh, their shamans. And they came back with a series of um, things that shamans do in all of the, across all of these different cultures. And one of them is uh, this kind of experience of, of fasting. But the other ones are really interesting. So, for example, I'll just run through them here. A dominant social role as the preeminent charismatic leader. That's got Moses written all over it. A nighttime community ritual. Uh, Moses introduces three nighttime community rituals. Use of chanting, singing, drumming, and dancing. Moses sings. Uh, when he, so Moses practices divination. He goes into the, um, the Holy of Holies, he goes into the tabernacle, and he comes out with information for the tribe. Normally divination might be, why is this disease here? What do we do about it? Or when do we attack our enemies? Or when do we move? That kind of stuff. Traditional divination that shamans also have, have, have done uh, and still do. Um, so the use of chant. So when he comes out, he will often sing his instructions. And his sister, who's called Miriam, the prophetess, picks up a percussion instrument and starts dancing her own song, right? So we have that kind of singing, drumming, dancing. Initiatory crisis involving a death and rebirth experience. This is really interesting. I think this is fascinating, this bit, because Moses meets Yahweh. Yeah, and he has that whole conversation. What's your name? Uh, I am that I am. But you can just call me I am to your friends so we don't blow their minds. And then the chapter continues, and it goes, and Yahweh, uh, and Moses met Yahweh, and Yahweh tried to kill him. It just kind of comes out of nowhere, this, this line. And it's straight after Yahweh has asked Moses to go and free the Israelites. Then he goes and kills him. And I've never heard a good explanation of this until I read Winkleman's paper. He doesn't talk about Moses, by the way. Winkleman's talking about um, uh, shamans in, in modern-day society. But the initiative crisis involving a death and rebirth experience, well, we have it right there in the text. Um, Alter states of consciousness, we talked about the burning bush fasting and socialization, uh, visionary experiences, abilities of divination, diagnosis, and prophecy. Uh, Moses has all of them. Uh, healing processes, um, illnesses believed to be caused by spirits, animal relations as a source of power. So you know when Moses goes down to, or I say Aaron, um, Aaron and Moses together, uh, when, they, when the ten plagues happen in Egypt, one of them is uh, frogs. You know, frogs come jumping out the... Uh, uh, coming out of the land. So the idea of controlling animals is, is perfectly shamanic as well. Um, the ability of the shaman to transform into animals, well, they don't, Moses doesn't do that, but his stick does transform into a snake. Malevolent acts of sorcery, including the ability to kill others. The last plague against the Egyptians was the killing of the firstborn. Finally, hunting magic, which is what shamans and these 47 different societies are meant to do. Hunting magic, uh, Moses um, finds water, for example, uh, in the wilderness. And he also, you know, there's a story of manna, but manna's not the only thing that they eat in the wilderness. They also eat quails, and quails come down very obligingly. They kind of drop down out of the sky for the Israelites to eat. Danny, you are a wealth of knowledge. Our fans have some questions. We don't have a ton of time. Uh, if you want to hang on until after the break, we can, or we can get you on the schedule to do this thing again because I, I, I could drink this up yes. for hours. Um, but I, but we do have some simple questions, some quick answer questions. Uh, one of our fans' okay. family is from England. They want to know what part of uh, of, of Britain you're from. Uh, I'm from London. I just moved to Hastings yesterday. Okay. All my stuff is in boxes. Um, yeah, so that's why I, 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 that's why I he doesn't mind spending so much time with us. He's like, everything's in boxes. Anyways, I'll talk to these guys. I got nothing to do. I don't want to unpack that <laughs> stuff. Uh, and then uh, I'll, I'll, if you can answer this one quickly, cool. If not, but I do also want to give you another opportunity to shout out uh, Neuro Apocalypse, your book, and then any other thing that you got okay, going thanks. on. Um, but uh-huh. is the, 
Is there um, some evidence that maybe uh, the original sacrament was psilocybin mushrooms? I've seen some theories on that mm-hmm. where it's painted in church glass and things like that, and it's something that I've always been kind of interested in, and it seems like people kind of quiet it down. Have you found that in your research at all? Um, yeah, I don't want to disappoint anyone, but the evidence for mushrooms, uh, there's evidence for mushroom cults in Christian history, uh, yes, certainly. Um, the evidence in the Bible is, 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 is nil, right? There's, not, and there's no mention of mushrooms in the Bible. Um, it's quite, I mean, there's a, there's a historian called Thomas uh, Hatsis who has, I think, demolished this theory uh, totally. So I don't mean to piss on anyone's fire here. But, um, yeah, there are some mushrooms in, in stained glass windows, you know. Um, there's, uh, you know, I've got a garden gnome with a mushroom on it. It doesn't really evidence too much except for the fact that people like mushrooms. Um, but, yeah, no, in the Bible, I'll tell you what there is in the Bible. Um, manna. Uh, and manna is, um, I think, almost certainly ergot, which is a fungus. Um, <laughs> and I can go into the evidence in that. I'm happy to stick around after the break and uh, talk you through the evidence around uh, manna. But the actual consumption of, of, of mushrooms, uh, no, I haven't found... Well, listen, I mean, people can speculate what they like. I've got nothing against speculation. But I think it's quite important to draw a line, a distinction between speculation and pharmacology and uh if you look at the pharmacology of um for example the kind of stuff that you find in the incense which is spikenard uh spikenard which is the stuff that jesus is um you know there's an ointment which judas gets cross about because they buy it and it's expensive spikenard is um it boosts dopamine it boosts gaba it boosts various neurotransmitters you've got saffron which is an absolutely fantastic smoke you know saffron it's the um the stigma of the uh, crocus sativus plant, and uh, it's, it's it's very similar to opium in its uh, in its effect. Um, Pliny, the Roman, um, what is he, a Roman naturalist, describes saffron as uh, how it wets the uh, wets the sex drive. Um, yeah, where, so where do I get saffron? <laughs> it's like the most expensive spice in the world. It's out of your my league. <laughs> One of my daughter's teachers went to India and brought back some presents and uh, uh, gave, I think my, my daughter won something in a school, I can't remember what it was, maybe did one in a spelling test, and she got given a present, she got to choose a present, she chose saffron, obviously, because I'm fascinated by it, brought it home and I smoked it for her. Uh, that's a great smoke. Ooh, <laughs> I wish my kids would win that at spelling bees. What's going on across the, the pond over there? Jeez Louise. Danny, I'm, I'm fascinated. We are up against a hard break. Let's take a break. If you don't mind sticking around for about five minutes, I'd love to just get, give you a few more minutes and, and shout out all your stuff again. If you're cool to hang on, we'll jump to break yeah, real yeah, quick, let our sponsors pay for this thing, and uh, we'll pick this up. How about that? All right, I'm around here. Sounds good. Hoosier Sophisticate on WGNU 920 AM. Stick around for Danny Nemo. This guy's incredible.